Hey, good morning, church. Now, if you are watching this, it means that I am in Jacksonville this morning helping to take care of my mom and some health issues there. So I appreciate you keeping Nana Jones in your prayers. If you're new to us, we've been in a sermon series for four or five weeks now entitled Mission Possible, where we're talking about how we accomplish the Great Commission. That's in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, where Jesus said to his disciples, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So in this sermon series, we've been talking about what makes the mission possible. And in previous messages, we've said, for instance, that buy-in makes the mission possible. We want to own it. We want to believe in it and invest in it individually, all of us, because our Lord commanded it and love compels it. We also said that a team makes the mission possible, and Team Jesus is the church. So when we're a part of a church, a local, we have a, a team that helps us to stay focused and on mission, and we come together, and we have a diversity of contributions to accomplish the mission. And then last Sunday, we were talking about God. Of course, it's God who makes the mission possible. It's his salvation. It is his power. It's his presence that is with us. We don't want to attempt this in our own strength, and our own power. So we want to make sure we're availing ourselves of God and his power. And so there's one final aspect that I want to talk about when we talk about accomplishing the, the mission. As I was thinking through this, I thought, what, what is it? What's that final aspect? And I believe it is action. Action makes the mission possible. So we've talked about all this. We've laid the foundation and the groundwork. But now we want to take action. I want to say three things about the type of action that we need. First of all, we need a bias for action. A bias for action. Again, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Notice the action words, go, make, baptize, teach. In 1982, in the book In Search of Excellence, Lessons from America's Best-Run Companies, Tom Peters outlined what he called eight basics of management excellence. And this book has since become a business classic. Nearly 30 years after the book was published, Tom Peters was asked, which of the eight basics would be most important for success in business? And he responded, quote, a bias for action is the most important. It is arguably more important by an order of magnitude today than it was in 1977 when we started the research. Now you say, Steve, I did not come here for a lecture on business management, especially from you. I know, I get that. I just wanted to explain where the origin of this phrase comes from, a bias for action. But it's applicable to what we're talking about today. That means we are proactive. We lean into action. We're inclined to take action. The fifth book of the New Testament, the fifth book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fifth book of the New Testament was authored by Luke. He meant it as a sequel to his gospel, that is named after him, the Gospel of Luke. And it's been called a missions manual for the church. 
What is the title of that book? It's entitled Acts. Acts, it's a, a book of acts, of actions. I mean, uh, Mission Impossible is in the category of action movies. That's the genre. And what that category is to films, that's what the book of Acts is to the New Testament. It's the action book of the Bible. And so there are all kinds of acts that are taking place there, mission-focused acts. When I was in high school, I played on the church softball team. I was not a great athlete. I was not a terrible athlete. I was probably average or a little above average. But I was, in one game, I was out in right field, which tells you something right there. I was playing in right field, and somebody hit a fly ball out into right field, and I, I caught it. I caught the ball, so the guy was out. I was so happy with myself, I was looking there at the ball for a few seconds. Meanwhile, the runners who were on base had tagged up and were advancing around the bases. And the, the coach of our team called out to me from the dugout. He said, Jones, don't just stare at the ball, throw the ball. So I woke up out of my daze and I, I threw the ball. But the coach wasn't done with me. He continued to yell from the dugout, Jones! If you feel like you want to look at a softball, I've got a lot of spare softballs here in the dugout. When you come in, in between innings, you can look at the softball. But get your head in the game. Now, I thought that was a little egregious, but I still I remember it to this day. He's basically saying you've got to stay in the game. And likewise, the ball, so to speak, has been handed off to us, to us, to our generation of the church, and it's time for us to take action. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now that is Jesus speaking to his disciples shortly before his ascension, ascension into heaven. And then immediately after that, we read in verses 9 through 11, after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. A cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go up into heaven. In other words, stop staring. Stop looking at the ball. It's time to act and get busy. I was listening to a sermon by Elliot Blount, Scott Blount's son, who preaches over at Swiss Cove Christian Church, and he mentioned that when he and his wife, Abby, would go visit her father, Dave Pardue, who at that time was a preacher as well, in Wikiwachi Springs, that Dave would often ask Elliot this question, what are you doing for the kingdom now? What are you doing for the kingdom right now? And it wasn't just Elliot of whom Dave would ask that question. He asked that question of all kinds of people. But it was so frequent that Elliot said he and Abby would rehearse their answer to that question on the drive from Jacksonville to Wikiwachi because they knew that it was coming. I thought, what a great question. What a great question for us. I want you to pause for just a moment right now and just Forget about the distractions and how this recording is going or how this message is or whether the humor is landing. Forget about all that. Ask yourself this question. What am I doing 
for the kingdom now. Not what did I do in the past, not what did my aunt and uncle do at one time. What am I doing now? Okay, so we want to have a bias for action. Here's the second thing we want to say about the, the type of action that accomplishes the mission. Preparation actions. I'm going to call these preparation actions. Actions that prepare us. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 4, Jesus said, give your gifts in private. In verse 6, pray to your Father in private. Verse 18, no one will notice that you are fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private. Now we might assume, and I say, we're going to talk about actions that accomplish the mission that I would be talking about, visible actions that we take and to execute the mission. And we are, but not yet. Because before that comes actions of preparation. We're not just people who are going out and doing. We are people who are becoming. We are disciples ourselves. And there, there are certain things that we must do to prepare ourselves to be the kind of people who can accomplish the mission. That's what I mean by preparation. And these are usually private, unseen actions. You know, there are, there's a lot of waiting that takes place in the Gospels and even in the book of Acts. Jesus said to his disciples, Luke 24, 49, wait here in the city until you receive power from heaven. And again, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for what the Father had promised. So they're waiting, but biblical waiting is not passive. It's active. What were they doing during this waiting period? Acts 1.14, they all met together and were constantly united in prayer. They're praying. That's an action. It's a preparation action. They're simply following Jesus' example. You know that there were many times when Jesus, in his earthly ministry, withdrew and went out to a quiet place in solitude to pray. There are 17 scenes of that, of Jesus doing that, recorded in the Gospels. When Jesus was baptized, Scott Blount mentioned this in his sermon, that Jesus' baptism, and our baptism, is a, a type of ordination into service and ministry. And that is true. It may be more than that, but it is certainly that. It's an ordination. Because Jesus was baptized, and then he began his public ministry, but before he did, he spent 40 days in the wilderness, in quiet. In solitude. What was he doing? He was fasting. He was praying. As praying always accompanies fasting. He was meditating on Scripture. He was preparing himself for his public ministry. So before he began his ministry and all during his ministry, he's doing these actions of becoming. We all must have a secret life. And it's either going to be a secret life that's rooted in God, or it's going to be a secret life that's rooted in the devil, one or the other. But this one that's rooted in God, these type of actions, what we normally refer to as the spiritual disciplines, are helping us to become and to be empowered by God. Coach David Holstein, in his book, Christ-Centered Coaching, writes this, when people discuss the person of Jesus Christ, no one discusses his competitive spirit, his competitive spirit. Yet, from my point of view, he was the greatest competitor of all time. Where most of us are trying to win the next contest, 
Christ was trying to win souls for the eternal future of mankind. He was totally devoted to the task and was all about empowering his team to carry on until his reappearance. Part of that was his preparation, the time spent in these preparation actions. In the movie, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, the latest Mission Impossible movie, there's a, a stunt that is performed by actor Tom Cruise. And it is said to be the most expensive and death-defying stunt of all time. It may very well be, where he is riding a motorcycle off of a cliff, and then he parachutes down to the ground. Now, I want to show you a brief clip of that stunt, and I want to come back and make an application of it. You're falling. If you don't get a clean exit from the bike and you get tangled up with it, if you don't open your parachute, you're not going to make it. a little longer. Pretty much the biggest stunt in cinema history. Tom Cruise just rode a motorcycle off a cliff six times today. talking about actions of preparation. The preparation for that particular stunt included 500 hours of skydiving training and 13,000 motorcycle jumps. In the little documentary I watched on it, it took two years of preparation for that one stunt. Now Tom Cruise did that for the money and because of his dedication to his craft of filmmaking. But we are called to prepare ourselves as well for something far more important than money or movies, for the mission. Bill Bradley was an outstanding 
college basketball player. He also played in the Olympics, and then he was a championship player in the NBA. And Bill Bradley's father said this to him. He said, son, when you are not practicing, someone else is. And when the two of you meet, assuming roughly equal ability, the other person will win. When we talk about accomplishing our mission, every inch of ground that we are attempting to take for the kingdom is contested ground. Jesus is contesting on one side and Satan is contesting on the other side. And we must prepare. We must prepare ourselves in order to tap into the power of Jesus and not try to do this in our own strength. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Now that wording about the armor in that passage is a metaphor for the spiritual disciplines. When we put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shoes, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Those are the things we do in private, in secret, to prepare ourselves, to avail ourselves of God's power. We can't skip that part. Again, Coach Holstein writes, You never stay the same, whether it's in your spiritual, personal, physical, or professional life. You either mature or you revert to old, bad habits. We refer to this effort to continually grow as rise and grind rise and grind. And that's what we must do as well. We rise and grind in the sense that we apply ourselves to the spiritual disciplines. Okay, preparation actions. And then the third thing that we want to say about these actions that accomplish the Great Commission, I call them execution actions. These are the things we actually do. Go, Jesus said, go. Tammy and I, for our 25th anniversary, we went on a cruise to Alaska. And on this cruise, there was a lecturer, professional lecturer, who had been in Iditarod races in Alaska. You know, that's where they have the sled dogs and they're racing across the ice in the snow. And he was talking about the sled dogs themselves in one of the lectures. And he said, some of the PETA types protest. And they said, oh, it's animal cruelty. But he said, not from my perspective. He said, what I see on these sled dogs, these dogs love to pull the sled. They love to be in the harness. They love that race. If those dogs, one of those dogs is left behind and some other dog gets to go on the, on the sled race, they're howling. They're sad. They want to be in the harness. And I sense that about us right now. We're like those sled dogs. We say, all right, we've done all this preparation, Steve. We're ready to go. What do we do? I there are at least two or three types of actions that we can take to execute the mission. Number one, we can go. We can go ourselves. Maybe God is calling somebody here right now to go to another country, to be a foreign missionary. If you think about it, every foreign missionary started off right where we are right now, in a church, listening to a message, reading God's Word, and feeling the call of God 
on their life. We have people from our own congregation who have done that, who have been missionaries in other countries. The Smiths went to Grenada. Diana Cook, she went to Haiti. Samantha Newman, who grew up in our church, is now in Australia. Missionaries in other countries. And there are, there are others who have been on what we call short-term missions, where they take a week or two weeks or a month, sometimes a little bit longer, and go to another country. I know there's a dozen people in our congregation who have done that. These are just ones that I know. There are many more. But these are just the ones that I know who have, here's a sampling of the countries that people from our congregation have gone to, the Dominican Republic, Bahamas, Haiti, Costa Rica, Uganda, Ecuador, Thailand, Nicaragua, Colombia. If you include Jillian Martinelli and her world race, then you're going to include Panama, South Africa, Botswana, Mozambique, Cambodia, Malaysia, and Indonesia. And sometimes we say, well, I, I could never do that or that would never be me. Don't discount the possibility that God may be calling some of us right now to be a foreign missionary. Okay, in addition to go, we could send. We might send. In Acts 13.3, so the church fasted and prayed. They laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them out. Every missionary who goes has a sending church. Jesus is the prototypical missionary. He was sent by whom? The Father. For God so loved the world that he, what? Sent his son. So Jesus went, God sent. And we are a sending church. Vera Christian Church is a sending church. Our offerings support 11 different missions. Some local, some national, and some international. So when you put a, a dollar in the offering box back there, if you're able to find our offering boxes that we've hidden on those back walls, or through online giving, or you're mailing in your contribution like a lot of folks do, then a portion of that is going to support 11 missionaries. It's like a, a mutual fund. If you invest in a mutual fund, you're, it's a basket of stocks in order to mitigate the, the risks and diversif through diversification. Likewise, this is, this is a church that supports a mutual fund of missionaries that has, helps to mitigate the risk that will simply be parochial in our evangelistic efforts. We do need to evangelize here in Vero Beach and in Indian River County, but the mission calls us to go beyond that. That's another big advantage of being a part of a church, a mission-minded church. It helps us to send. And the person who sends, which means to finance, pray for, and finance a, a foreign missionary, and another mission work, shares in the reward of that missionary. And then thirdly, I call this as-you-go actions. Now, the wording of the Great Commission, where Jesus says, go and make disciples, it does not mean as-you-go. It just means go. But there are other passages in the Bible that do teach that as we're going about our daily lives, our work, in our neighborhoods, we are to be influencing other people for the Lord. A couple of those passages, Colossians 4, act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, you should answer each person. And Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, that we should be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So we want to invite, we want to engage, we want to influence our neighbors, our friends, our family members, everyone we can. Do not underestimate the power of an invitation and help them to become a disciple of Jesus. 
the die's been cast, the decision's been made, I won't look back, let up, slow down, or be still. My face is set, my gate is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is rough, my guide reliable, my mission clear. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the adversary, negotiate at the table of the enemy, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, let up, until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for Christ. I must go till he comes, give all I can, preach all I know, and work till he calls me home. To God be the glory. Amen.